0: Let's pray together this morning as we jump into Mark chapter 2. God, just thank you for um, the beauty of creation. Thank you for the opportunities that we have to gather with your people. Thank you for the the things that you're doing in us and around us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for um, your son, Jesus Christ, who reconciled us to himself, to yourself. And God, as we open up your word for just a few minutes this morning, we just pray that you would speak to us in just a powerful way, that your words would be alive, that your words would be active, that they would transform and mold our hearts even for a few minutes this morning. So just thank you for the things you're doing. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know if you've ever had a a situation in your life where there has been a relational intersection that you're so thankful for. You ever had that point where you, somebody who came into your life, maybe it was your spouse, a friend, who came in at the perfect time? Well, I was in seventh grade, and uh, I still remember um, the, the first kind of intersection with my youth pastor. In fact, um, I, I remember being a seventh grader and him coming up to me one day and said, hey, let's, um, let's, let's go hang out for a little bit. And so a couple days later, he ended up picking me up, and we sat down in a restaurant. I still remember that we're sitting in Pizza Hut in uh, Vancouver, Washington, and I'm sitting across from him, and Danny, who's my friend, is sitting next to me, and and my youth pastor begins to tell me, he says, hey, here's what I'd love to do. How about every week if I picked you up, and we would hang out, we'll go to McDonald's, we'll go to the park, we can go shoot some baskets, and uh, what we'll do is we'll read the Bible together. And then after we hang out a little bit, you just, you underline whatever that sticks out to you. You know, whatever stands out, whatever questions you have. And, and so I began to do that. And over the, the course of the next several months, every like Tuesday or Wednesday, I remember what the day was, he would come in this like youth pastor, beater, blue car, pfft, up to my middle school, and I would jump into it, and he would whisk me off someplace, and we'd go to McDonald's, or we'd go to Pizza Hut, or we'd go hang out at the park and go shoot baskets, and we began to just open up God's Word together, and he began to ask me questions about girls I had crushes on. He began to talk to me about issues I was having with my parents, he began to talk about school and sports and all the things that were going on in my life, but one of the things he did that was so profound is we just opened up God's Word together. We began to spend time in God's word and began to just dialogue and discuss what it meant for my life. In fact, I still remember uh, that was the first time in seventh grade that I read the entire Bible through. In fact, I still remember one Sunday when we were, um, I'm a competitive person, and so I wanted to win right? I wanted, to be, I wanted to beat him through the Old Testament because that was the, 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 the allotted amount of reading we were going to do. And I still remember one Sunday where I'm in the minor prophets and I'm like, I'm going to finish. So I sat down and read my Bible for like seven or eight hours underlining stuff. And I still remember I call him up and he's like, man, I'm in a meeting right now. Can you wait? And I'm like, okay, call me back. And so he calls me back. and He's like, what's up? And I said, I finished yeah! And I was so excited. But it's interesting, what happened is, is my, my love for God began to grow as I would spend time with him. And I looked back at that moment, and there was an intersection, a collision that happened between him and between me that was so important. It was so vital in my life. And, and here's the beauty of the scriptures, is God is in the business of of intersecting stories. That God is in the business of people who are who are on a path somewhere where there is a collision point where God intersects them. And I love that Jesus does this so consistently in the scripture. You see these people who are living in such a way and then there's this encounter with Jesus that radically tr- transforms them. I think I think one of the problems is is that in those intersection moments, the big issue, the hinge is our failure, though, to respond. Like our failure in that intersection to respond to him. In fact, I think about uh, in Luke chapter 19, there's this picture of the triumphal entry, right? You remember this? Where, where Jesus is coming in, and he's in the tail end of you know, his life where he's going to be executed, and, and he's moving down. And you remember what the response of the people were? Right? They're saying, Hosanna, right? Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the disciples and the people were worshiping him. Do you remember the response of the Pharisees? You remember it all? They come up to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, do you see what your disciples are doing? Like you need to st- you need to rebuke them. You need to stop them. You remember Jesus' response. He says, "If they don't, the rocks will respond. Like if these people don't, even the rocks will cry out in worship to me because they understand that this moment requires a response. That this moment of their lives compels them to respond." So so I love what Jesus often does is there's this rhythm, and we're going to look at this for just a few minutes this morning, is there's this rhythm that Jesus, that we see in the life of Jesus, where there's an intersection into somebody's life, there's a call, that person responds, their life is transformed, and then there's massive outward movement. Intersection. There's a call, then a response, transformation happens and then massive movement there's intersection then a call then a response transformation then massive movement like this is the the rhythm of Jesus and, and in fact so we're this is we're going to look at one of those times in Mark chapter 2 um starting in verse 1 sorry, starting in verse 13. But here's, let me give you just a little bit of context before we look at this passage, is this part of the scriptures is actually a series of five different conflicts that Jesus will get in between Mark Uh, chapter 2 and uh, chapter 3, verse 6. And so here's the five conflicts we see. Um, Last week, Steve was talking about forgiveness. This week, eating with sinners. Um, The next section is talking about fasting. And then you see the conflict with the Pharisees of Sabbath. And there's a second conflict about the Sabbath. And then at that point, there is a decision to kill Jesus. And so in this section of Mark that you're going to be looking in over the next few weeks, there's actually five different conflict points that are going on here. So let's look at the passage together. Mark chapter two, starting um, in verse 13. When he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him, he was teaching them and he passed by and saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And when he stopped him, he said, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he was reclining at his table's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining. And the Pharisees, when they saw that he, was, that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? And when Jesus heard this, he said to them, who, um, for those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. And so we're seeing the same rhythm, intersection, call, response, transformation, outward movement, even in the life of Levi. So let's talk about the intersection for just a few moments. So look at verse 14 again. And as he passed by he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. So here's Levi, right? And, and, and he is a tax collector in this time. Now, you might understand a little bit, uh, hearing these words tax collector, you may not. So let me give you just a little bit of background of what's going on. So a tax collector in that time was not looked on favorably, okay? In fact, here's what uh, a tax collector was. Um, they were hired by the Roman government to tax uh, the people. And so Levi is one of those tax collectors. And now this is, you know, an issue because how many of you like get your taxes being taken out? Anybody? Okay. I don't. It's not a great thing. Right. But to, to, to like on top of that. So what would happen is, is the Roman government didn't really care like how much you collected as long as they got their slice of the pie. And so as a tax collector, you had authority from the Roman government to really charge whatever you wanted to. And so if the Roman government said, hey, I want $25, hypothetically, from each person, you could charge $25 or $30 or $40 or $50 and then give the Roman government their $25 and then you would keep the rest. And so these tax collectors, they were basically skimming off the top of your money. And so they were actually stealing money from the people that are often very wealthy. But they were looked on as being like crooks and thieves. And so people did not like tax collectors because they understood the culture. They understood what was going on. And so here is Levi sitting in his tax collector booth, doing his deal, collecting his taxes, and here walks by Jesus. Now, there was probably no intent on Levi. When he got up in the morning, put his clothes on, and headed to his tax booth, it wasn't a thought in his mind of saying, man, there's something big that's going to happen today. But he was going about his day like any other day, and he's sitting in his tax booth, and, and lo and behold, Jesus walks by, and in that moment, intersects his life, an intersection that would change his life. Forever. And this is what Jesus does. I mean, he is in the business of intersecting people. I think about like a, the story in John chapter 5, uh, the healing pool, right? So Jesus comes up and there's a guy who's been um, like for 38 years, he's been lame. And Jesus walks up to him and says, Do you want to be healed? And he looks at him like, Bro, do I want to be healed? The problem is, is nobody will get me into the pool first to be healed. And Jesus comes up and says, here, why don't you just get up and walk and be healed? And he gets up and he walks and is healed. Or the woman at the well in John chapter 4, where he's going to get water. And this woman who is basically an outcast in the society is in that moment at the well with him. And her life is intersected with Jesus in that moment, or the young man in John chapter nine that was born blind, where he is born blind and Jesus walks up and does something really weird and he spits in the ground, right, and makes some mud and he puts it on the guy's eyes and say, go wash and you will be healed. And I love the part, just kind of interjection, um, that the following part beyond that is where uh, they're trying to, the Pharisees are trying to stump Jesus, right? And so they go to the parents and like, is this true? And they're like, man, we don't want to get involved in this. So they go back to the boy and he is like being a a young man. He's kind of a smart aleck, right? And he says, why do you want to be one of his disciples too? And they get irate, like throw him out. And, but there was this intersection of this man. Or you think about in Luke chapter seven, where Jesus is walking in and there is a widow with her son being carried out of the city. Dead and as he began to walk in the city, intersects this young, this woman and raises her son to life, and her life is changed because of this intersection of Jesus. Man, we can think about stories in our own lives where Jesus has intersected people. It was fun this week getting ready for this because those are one of the thoughts that was coming to me, right? Like Jesus, thinking about the intersection of people's lives. I remember this one young guy, his name is John Weezy, And I remember John being a senior in high school. And John's life was radically intersected by Jesus. And he surrendered his life to Jesus. And John is now um, a, a, a pastor in Chicago because of that intersection, I think about the story of my wife, where at that moment where there was there was a point where Jesus intersected at this youth group event where she surrendered her life. Jesus is in the business of intersecting, but even beyond that intersecting, what he often does is there is a call. There's a call. Look at verse um, the rest of verse 14, and so he's sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him. In verse 14, follow me, follow me. It was this invitation, right? It was this invitation that he was giving Levi to go from old to new. This invitation from death to life or what the scriptures say from being lost to being found. It was this invitation of putting this in front of Levi and said, here's an intersection and here's your chance. And I'm going to call you away from death. I'm going to call you away from sickness. I'm going to call you away from wandering and meaninglessness in your life. And I want to call you to something greater. In fact, you can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, where there was a fracture in the relationship through sin, where God is in the business of calling people back to him, that call. I think about, um, there's a couple guys that I get a chance to meet with, a couple young adults um, that I get to meet with about weekly if I'm not on the road. And uh, I mean, I just, I, I love our time together. And in fact, we last uh, Thursday we were together and, and we're sitting down and we're having coffee together and and they're not believers, but God is calling them. And he's trying to woo their hearts. He's trying to call them back to him. See, Jesus, he is in the business of calling in even maybe this morning, there might be some calling that's going on. Then in the midst of this intersection that we have with Jesus, even this morning, is there are some that might even be called to him. But here's the deal: is, is what Jesus does, it's not just an intersection and a call, but there is a moment where we need to respond. There's a moment where we actually need to take that call, take that invitation and respond to him. And so here's what happens in verse 14 is he rose up and followed him. Now, there's a a biblical word that we use called repentance. And and I think sometimes that we don't have like the full understanding of this, uh, this term repentance. Repentance is actually like a military term. In fact, what it is is that you're going in one direction and and uh, uh, the orders come for you to repent and you are to turn in a different direction. And this is what God is calling us to do in repentance of that we're going towards death, we're going towards um, destruction, and he's calling us to repent and to turn. The Bible awful, uh, often talks about this response being like the evidence of are following Jesus, right? In in fact, here's, let me read this passage for you. Here's what Matthew 7 says. It says, "'Watch out for false prophets. They come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit we will recognize them. Do not pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit.'" But every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And so if, if you're a good tree, you bear good fruit. If you're an unhealthy tree, you bear unhealthy fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So here's what the Bible says. Is response will be evident by the fruit in our lives. See, here's what we do. Here's what we do in like our American evangelical church culture is we have elevated like checking off a box or raising of a hand. Now, I'm not like dismissing that because those are legitimate ways that people come to know Christ. But here's the question is what's going to happen a year from then or two years from then? Or five years from then, is there going to be fruit in their lives that would be evidence that their life was changed and there was a response in that moment? That's why the Bible talks about even uh, the word being a seed. And depending on the soil that it falls into, some falls on rocky soil or with weeds or good soil, and depending on what happens with that seed, you will see and there will bear evidence of what goes on an interesting world that we live in with social media okay because we get um we get to be connected with with people in ways that we really never get to we haven't had in like history but we can see because you know you can be friends with people in high school and middle school and grade school and you can see their kids and their weddings and their grandkids and great grandkids and all this kind of stuff and it's so interesting for me because there's so there's this app on um iphone called time hop and you know what time hop is Anybody heard of time hop before? Man, okay, so like two of us. So <laughs> here's time hop. Time hop basically takes your um, connects with all of your like uh, social media stuff and your like photos that you have. This might be over your head. Um, Photos you have in the cloud, like photos that you're stored, and they'll pull it up and say, hey, this is what was happening a year ago or two years ago or five years ago or seven years ago, ten years ago, and you get to see pictures that you posted or things that you were talking about five years ago, seven years ago, ten years ago. And it's amazing to me how often I'm going through time hop and I'm seeing these students I had in youth ministry. Right? Seven years ago, we're at this youth group event. Three years ago, we were at this college ministry gathering. Ten years ago, I was at this function where I was speaking. And I often think about like the producing of fruit in their lives. And sometimes I'm, my heart is broken in those moments. Because I see people who maybe made decisions or decided at one point that they wanted to follow Jesus. But you wonder about the true response because you look at the fruit in their lives you look at what it's produced over years and years and years, and sometimes my heart is broken because there is no lack. There's, there's a lack of evidence, there's a lack of, of fruit that is being produced in their life. The the call always demands a response. But here's the beauty: the beauty of the response, when we truly respond, listen to this. It always leads to transformation. When we respond, when we truly respond to Jesus, you will be changed. In fact, we have to dig a little bit into the story of Levi, who is later known as Matthew, who is one of the 12 disciples, but we see in this moment of calling and and responding that his life was absolutely transformed. His life was absolutely changed. He gave up his entire life and followed Jesus and became one of 12 of the closest guides that got to hang out with Jesus as they wandered and followed and preached and teached and healed and ultimately saw the persecution of Jesus. That when we truly respond, there's always, always transformation. This is my prayer for us. And I'm praying back there as we're singing. And God like can't be just words, right? Like it can't be just me standing up there speaking, but there's gotta be something inside of us that changes us. There's gotta be something inside that stirs our heart, that causes us to become different people, even in this intersection. And I love stories of transformation. Think about John, I think about another young guy. His name is Andrew Heller. And Andrew is with one of our ministries in Fargo, um, North Dakota. And I still remember meeting Andrew four years ago. So Andrew kind of had some rough growing up years. He, was, he, he didn't finish high school. He didn't understand like basic stuff that most 18-year-olds should understand. And I remember trying to talk to Andrew and he couldn't even look me in the eye. Because it was so much had gone on in his life that as I'm trying to have this conversation with Andrew, he can't even engage me, and he's looking down and he's mumbling and he's. And a couple of weekends ago, Andrew was a part of the leadership team in um the with the Fargo group that came to Leader Advance, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like I'm looking at Andrew, listening to him talk, listening to him engage, talking about how God had changed his life, and I'm looking at that saying, man, that call. That response produced transformation. And when God gets a hold of our hearts, there's always, always, always transformation. But here's what happens. Here's the last thing that we see is that transformation is contagious. That transformation, when Jesus gets a hold of somebody's heart, that it never stays with just us. It's never just about me and my thing, but it affects the people around me. It changes my family. It changes my friends. It changes my coworkers. It changes us around. Look at verse 15 of Mark chapter two. It says, as he was reclining at the table, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus. And so this isn't just like Levi saying, okay, I'm gonna follow you. But now as Levi is following, he's saying, hey, buddy, hey, friend of mine, hey, tax collector, why don't you come to my house? Because Jesus is coming. And so uh, Levi begins to collect these other tax collectors with him. And it says that they're sitting. Here's what it says. For they were many who followed him. For it wasn't just Levi that it affected. This calling, this intersection just didn't affect Levi. This intersection affected Levi's circle. It affected the people around him. It wasn't only Levi who has changed, but it was the people around him. Transformation is contagious. I mean, when somebody's life is radically transformed, it becomes contagious. So um, two nights ago, it two nights ago, Friday night, how many nights ago is that? Yeah, okay, fr- Friday night, two nights ago. Um, uh, I'm, I'm one of the elders at our church. And so our elders went away for a retreat. And so we spent a night together in the cabin doing some training and some talking. And so we did this thing where we just wanted to get to know each other more, right? And so what what um, Joel, who is on on the board, asked us to do is just reflect on like our history. Like what are things that are important to us? What are things that have shaped us? Who are people in our lives that have changed us? And um, I think about like... Um, I'm writing these things down and I'm thinking about my dad and, you know, my relationship with my parents. I'm thinking about Greg as my youth pastor. And I begin to think about this, this guy whose name is Bill Trankman. I don't know, my, my dad may have mentioned Bill, Bill to you, but when my parents were like 20 years old, um, believe it or not, my parents are pretty selfish, okay? In fact, um, my dad, you can ask him this, he was like in four or five um, nights a, a week playing basketball in different leagues, Okay, as I'm a little kid, two, three years old. And so my parents end up moving out to Vancouver and getting involved with a ministry that was led by this guy's name is Bill Trankman. And they began to understand for the first time what it looks like to parents and what it looks like to you know, do ministry and what it looks like to be missional and all these kind of things that is being invested into my parents' life. And I was sitting back writing on Friday night thinking about the impact and the influence that Bill Trankman has had. You ever, you ever heard of football fans like the coaching tree, you know, like Bill Parcells, like look, look at all the coaches that came because of him. Or Bill Walsh, look at all the coaches that were, you know, that came from the Bill Walsh tree. And I was thinking about like the Bill Trankman tree. Think about people like my dad and Greg Carlson and Dan Hash who are in countries all over the world doing ministry. I think about like third generation people like me and fourth generation people like people that I've influenced and people that I've poured into. And I look and think about the, the power of transformation it doesn't just affect us, but it always moves out as your life has changed. And this is a beauty of, for those of you who maybe are even um, struggling with like your kids, or you're struggling with your spouse, as, as God begins to change you, it will affect the people around you. It will change the people around you. As God begins to transform you, there's always movement out. So what is this movement? And here's what Jesus says in verse 16. He says, And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard this, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. See, here's the deal, is Jesus is in the business of intersecting lives. So let's, let's take it out of the, the context of the scriptures and let's put it in the context of this room. Because here's the deal, is Jesus is still in the business Of intersecting lives. He's still in the business of of people who are moving in one direction, coming in and radically intersecting them and completely changing their life. And so I can't even, uh, I even believe that even this morning, there's a, a potential that Jesus wants to be the one to intersect with somebody's life here this morning. There might be somebody in this room that you have never surrendered your life to Jesus. I'm talking about like complete surrender. I'm not talking about like yeah, I went to, I got baptized or I did confirmation or I I went to church, I go to church every Sunday. I'm talking about like, has Jesus legitimately got a hold of your heart in such a way that compelled you to respond to him that transformed your life? And I believe that even this morning, Jesus may be intersecting some in this room. And so my call and my plea for you is respond. Like, don't pass on the moment. Don't pass on the opportunity. But respond to Jesus. Surrender your life to Jesus. Give your entire being to Jesus. But one of the things I also love is that, um, jesus is in the business of small intersections too right like some of us we've surrendered our lives to jesus but man here's what jesus does in my life is there's still like small intersections like he'll get a hold of me like you're stubborn you're stubborn <laughs> you know and and he wants he wants he wants that issue he wants to intersect me and say man i want to continue to what, what the bible calls sanctify you I want to continue to change you. I want to continue to transform you. I want to continue for you to become the person, Andy, that I desire for you to be. And here's what I believe this morning is Jesus is still intersecting some others in here. There's small intersections where maybe this week God's trying to to get your attention. He's brought people into your life. He's brought conversations with your spouse. He's brought different things with your kids where Jesus intersecting and saying, man, we let's deal with this. Let, let's, let's have a response to this. Let me change this. Let me transform this so it ultimately changes you. So the question for us is this morning, where, where is Jesus intersecting our lives? Where are the things that he's trying to intersect us with? for us to be changed by him. The beauty of Jesus is he's even intersecting in small ways. And I'm not going to go like into this, but we can talk about us because you're probably tired of me talking about this. But like you think about a passage like 2 Corinthians chapter 5, right? That he even wants to use us as a part of the story of intersection Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5? I've, I've referred to it a couple times. I've preached on it here before. Uh, Paul says Second 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as though God were making his appeal through us. Right? As though God were actually using us to appeal to other pe- pe- people like be reconciled to God because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God It's even for us here collectively that God wants to use us in the lives of other people to intersect, to be that intersection point where Jesus is trying to intersect them. And so that's my prayer for us this morning is that we would allow those intersection points to affect our lives. But it's not just the intersection, right? The intersection leads to a call. And that call demands a response. And if we truly respond, it transforms our life. And when it transforms our life, it affects a whole lot of people around us. Jesus is in the business of intersecting lives and he's intersecting some of us here even this morning. And my prayer for you and my prayer for myself is that we'd be open to see those and that we would respond. We would respond to him. Let's pray together.